Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is the 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Good day. Welcome to this next episode of Kuden. I'm Eric White, joined by Jeffrey Miller. We're here to answer your questions, discuss uh, self-defense, martial arts, ninjutsu topics, and uh, we have a number of things to get to. Uh, a couple of things we really kind of ran out of time from last week. So, uh, But, sir, how are you as we start off uh, this Friday? I'm good. I'm good. Today's better. Yesterday was a wash. Uh, I, yesterday kind of reminded me of something that Soke said a long time ago when people said, wow, it must be awesome to be like the grandmaster of like nine schools. And he said, nah, uh, it's not so great. Uh, your wife still wants you to take out the trash, still have to walk the dogs. Yeah. She still yells at you. <laughs> uh, my wife didn't yell at me yesterday, but uh, last weekend she decided she was going to refit the kitchen. And I mean refit mm. the kitchen. So yesterday I got to play domestic god and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, refrigerator, new stove, including new gas line, um, dishwasher, upright freezer, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, wow. it was, I, mean, I didn't get anything else done, but uh, according to my wife, I accomplished a lot. So. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, well, you know, brownie points. That's always good. That's always good, yeah, right? Yeah. Balance is out the times when I push her buttons and she doesn't talk to me for three days. Mm. She tells her friends all about those times. Those are the times I get lots of work. And... Anyway, no, it's okay. <laughs> One my so... first that they would say, uh, good balance. Mm. Good balance, do good situation make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always like his comment about sneaky. Uh, that's, that's right. Always, that's, that's always right. good. Very sneaky. Uh-huh. So last week we we had a couple things that we really didn't get to, and I know um, you had mentioned Josh is uh, a question. We'll try to get to that, um, and uh, a couple of things that we have that we're working on that we want to talk about that maybe will interest people on on kind of a different format or different. Uh, form of Kuden, um, but we talked about training while injured, or we didn't really get a chance to talk about it last week, but uh, we kind of teased that we would get to that this week. Um, you had mentioned, you know, training while injured or, or when you're ill, that training can still go on, and uh, sometimes people just kind of write it off as like, yeah, I'll get back to it when I feel better. Yeah, I, I, this goes back to the um, determining whether or not somebody's going to train based on whether it's a good time or not. Um, it's never a good time, right? Um, the, the, that's all part of the training, right? If you can't endure uh, whatever's going on and still get things done that have to get done, then uh, I'm at a loss at that point. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, I'm not sure uh, last week if we talked about uh, the, as a matter of fact, the Shiraishi story where, Damn near got blown up and killed uh, a bunch of years ago and ended up in the hospital and blind and all that because um, of an explosion at the factory where he worked. And um, once he was 
recuperating but still blind. Um, and he was able, able to actually move his legs again because he had second to third degree burns all over his body. Um, wow. He would actually sleep during the day when the doctors and nurses were in there prodding on him. And then um, once everything died down overnight and, you know, just had the watch nurse and all that, he would get, he would climb out of bed and train. Um, of course, to him, everything was in the dark because he was blind. But um, he would train because that was part of the recuperation process as well. Hmm. So uh, Hatsumi Sensei, when he had uh, – uh, uh, stomach, type of stomach cancer way back, way, way back, right? Um, he still trained. Now, did he do as much Taijutsu? I don't know, right? Based on his writings and stuff, um, he focused on dietary considerations. He focused on walking. He focused on uh, other things, right? So just because you're injured and you can't move your knees or your back is hurt or something like that, um, again, I, I think this this calls into question what you believe ninjutsu is and where you think the limits are. Because, uh, you know, if you look at the Tugakure list of the 18 levels of ninja training, just we're not even going to talk about the normal warrior training, just this stuff, right? I mean, do you need good legs and a back to study meteorology or geography, Tenmon Chimon? Do you need that to work on uh, Seishin Teki, personal clarity? Do you, need, do you know what I mean? Do you need that to work mm-hmm. on? Yeah, too, uh, you know, uh, understanding communication and vocal tones. And um, I, I don't think so, right? Uh, if, if we reduce this down to the eight gates, right? And we look at gate number eight, Nijino Kyomon, which are all these study areas of things that look like they have no connection to martial arts, science and religion and philosophy and all that. I mean, that's all necessary for training. So, do bad knees and a bad back mean that you can't do that? Um, but again, you know, if somebody has if somebody has chosen the form of ninjutsu, that's really just the the one aspect, right? I mean, if we're looking at a diamond or a or a cut gem, and each facet represents an area of training, of course, all the facets, you know, make up the gem itself. But if we're just looking at one facet. Nippo Taijutsu, Budo Taijutsu, pick a name, I don't care, right? Um, and that's all there is. Then, yeah, okay. Then you're right. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. You can't train. Okay. If you're broken, you can't train. Okay. But if you're in Ninjutsu because it's the coolest fighting style or it's the most deadly fighting style and you live in an area in the world where you have to duck bullets and save your life every day, then, okay, I, I can see that would be a necessity, right? But if that's not your life, then, what, what, you know, where are we producing results in any other place? What's the value of ninjutsu when you're not being attacked? What's, what's the value? You know, other than ego stroking or, you know, getting ready for that next belt or whatever it is, right? I mean, uh, but that that's my take on it. So um, I've been known to be called an asshole, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you probably called me that once or twice anyway. No, I don't think so. I may have come up came with up something more, more yeah, elo- say, eloquent than <laughs> asshole, but yeah. <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah. Wink, wink, nut, nut. Ow, that really that hurt. Thing. That was just great. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was when you were around um, or when Therese was around or not, but um, the black belts in my school used to have a 
have a saying, you know, there, there's all these dojos where everybody wants to call uh, the teacher master. And I tell people, you know, whether they write me online or whatever, um, call me master and stuff. And I get where they're coming from with that, right? Uh, it's just this common martial arts thing, right? But the black belts in my school had this saying that they don't call me master, they call me bastard. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> well, and, and as you kind of point out, too, um, you know, we often get into talking about how a lot of people approach the training as just from the side of techniques and the physical part of this. But, you know, there's so much study that can be done. You know, if a doctor said, hey, look, you you got to stay off your, your leg. Well, you know, okay, you feel like you can't go to class. Could you go to class and watch, ask questions, take notes? Sure. Um, you know, could you be, uh, you know, attending to some of your other reading about some of the different books that, that – you know, I know you have part of your curriculum for students to, to read up on that, you know, maybe they've let go. It could be a good time to do that. So and there's always something, I think, that can be done to keep progressing you, whether you're, yeah, my, you're ill, injured, or just not feeling well. Yeah, as you well know, my, my people have required reading and book reports that must be turned in, and mm -hmm. they have uh, oral questions that are asked during testing, uh, those kind of things, because there's three aspects to your training, right? And even if we're just looking at the Taizutu. There's the physical training, there's the mental understanding of not just those techniques, but also the art and how that's happening, right? And then there's the personal development side, right? How have you grown since your last, last belt exam, right? Um, how, have you how have you improved in your, in your ability to uh, increase or produce the kind of positive results that you want to be producing in your life as a human being, right, as a father, mother, you know, employee, employer, or whatever. I mean, um, th this is a holistic kind of thing. But, yeah, yeah people tend to um, – and then this isn't everybody. Um, as a matter of fact, this was actually part and parcel. I don't know if you've uh, seen the recording yet because uh, you're on the list for that. But the Friday my, – my Friday morning coaching call this morning was wrapped around a question that came in from one of my long-distance guys who's a police officer in Perth, Australia. And – he always has some of the deepest questions, hmm. and they're usually a springboard off of another lesson that had come up, right? And so um, his question this morning was on uh, the Kuji, but not so much just about the Kuji. I mean, he you know, wanted me to touch on a little bit, and I, I did it to a more, I think, a greater extent than I had originally planned because I know there's a bunch of new people on the, on the call and there's other people that are interested in that, but – you know, I had to pick and choose, and I kind of did a half and half. So, uh, but his question was on uh, not just what the different Kuji represented training-wise, but he wanted me to give him an example of how each one could be applied in day-to-day -day living, mm -hmm. right? So uh, you had just brought up something there about, um, you know, the reading and study and, and, and things like that, and um, – in one of the Kuji, uh, well, we're talking about people that are ill or injured, right? Uh, yeah. One of the Kuji, Kuji 4, Yin Kyo Tu Sha, it's the one that looks like a, a dragon is facing away from you. It's the outer bond's fist, or the, it's not called the outer bond's fist. Either way, um, it is about healing of self and others, mm -hmm. right? So when you're ill or injured, how about working on, the healing part. How about working on your ability to heal yourself? Uh, and this doesn't mean push yourself 
uh, which might exacerbate the injury. This is about researching and or finding ways to speed up the healing process so that you're not on your back as long and you don't have that excuse as long, right? So um, even injured and ill where you can't do one aspect of training, you could be working on this aspect of training that actually is wrapped around the healing process, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, and for, you know, I, I forgive those who don't even know that exists. That the, I mean, and you and I know that the, the number of people that come to me who have been training for a while, and I just had another person that just contacted me uh, long distance, and uh, he's training with these folks, but everything's about the martial stuff, and he keeps reading about all these other areas of training, and when he brings it up, uh, you know, it's, it's either uh, easily dismissed uh, or it's, you know, well, we'll, we'll do that sometime, or it's, um, it's scoffed at. You know, that's that uh, mm. ancient woo-woo kind of stuff, and, uh, you know, that's that's not really applicable in the 21st century when people are more scientific-minded and all that. And um, But how many times do we see uh, reports, either in the news or whatever, where scientists have discovered, and it's something that we've been training with for a long time, and we look at each other and go, oh, did they just discover it? Well, let me point to them, uh, point them in a, in a certain direction that uh, might help their research. So, yeah, I, I, I think that I think that um, the use of and I, I'm going to err on the side. And, you know, my pseudo nature is out. So I'm going to tuck that away for a moment. I'm going to err on the side of not knowing any better, right? That kind of ignorance, mm-hmm. where uh, you know, using illness or injury as a reason to not train uh, is short-sighted because the student hasn't been introduced to enough areas of training or enough aspects of training, right? Because if that's not the case, then then it really is an excuse. It's a, you know, it's what? It's a, um, it's ego's defense mechanism for being lazy, right? Because now mm-hmm. you have a bona fide reason for not training when last month you weren't training because you just wouldn't get off your ass, right? But now you have an injury. So it's kind of like the friend who offered to help you uh, do some things, and, you know, here it is. It's three weeks into it. They haven't done anything, and their mom ends up in the hospital, and that becomes the reason they haven't done anything for three weeks, even right. though she was in the hospital yesterday, right? Yeah. It's, it's that kind of thing, right? So um, nothing is being done anyway, or it's barely being done, or the, the so-called training is surfing YouTube videos or uh, chatting with people online and, you know, that kind of thing. Um so it's, you know, we're talking about it. So, you know, it's the same thing as training, mm. kind of, except that it's been my experience that it's just a, it's just a never-ending loop, right? There's no, there, there's little to no taking what's being discussed and putting it through practical application. Um, do, you, do you remember the one book that uh, you guys were required to read in the Mikio study group that was uh, by Chogyam Trungpa called Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism? Mm, yeah, I'm going, I'm going through that now. I've just started getting through that. Yeah, yeah, in that uh, he talks about ego, uh, you know, how ego will use anything to reinforce itself, um, mm-hmm. and including spiritual practices. So yeah. what, what the ego will do is jump to knowing the answers to the questions so it can sound like it's pious or enlightened or whatever, but it avoids doing the actual work because that's mm-hmm. discomfort or it's uncomfortable, and we're going to ignore that. Uh, because it's uh, it's uncomfortable and it's um, 
uh, it's too risky, right? It's too much of a po- there's too much of a possibility that either you will be found out by others or you will have to face the fact that you don't know or you don't have the abilities that you know left brain can can kind yeah. of uh, you know set up. So uh, that's mm-hmm. a really good really good book for for folks. Of course, that's why I have it for required reading, right? <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Well, and and you kind of hit on too, and 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 it's funny, you know, kind of talking about commitment or self discipline. This is something that you know often people will come come to the school for, say, well, you know, I want to build this up uh, as as something. I want to be more self disciplined, and and these are kind of the moments where, you know, does does that that's the opportunity to kind of work on that. Um, you know, personally for right. me, I, I've been working on this, uh, just trying to work into a regular exercise routine each day and this kind of got started uh way back episodes back like before the end of the year um you had mentioned about uh 21 days it takes to kind of make something a habit and right. that stuck with me and I thought hmm if I can do this little you know push up sit up squats routine for 21 days it'll become habit and and you know I'll start there so that kind of got me going on I wanted to try this so you know, first of the year, I I worked on that, and and you know I told myself, look, I'm gonna do this thing every day, and I'm not gonna let anything stop me from getting it done that day. And it seems like a really small, mundane thing, but as I've gone now like 98 some days of doing this, it's really uh, you know it 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 helps you build up some of that you know commitment and self discipline to get it done because there are a myriad of excuses or things that will happen outside of your control that could easily throw you off or you use as an excuse to go, well, I won't do it today, you know, but that's where, you know, working on that going, no, no, damn it, I'm going to do it today no matter what. (laughs) And then you do it and you feel really accomplished, you know. Yeah, and I understand getting derailed, but, you know, um, even the Buddha said, you know, even the enlightened have to mind mind, right, Mm. because it's too easy um, you know, let's say you get injured and you are flat on your back or whatever. Now you've gone 21 days without doing anything. So now the habit's different. Now the habit's laying around. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I know you were recuperating, but the mind doesn't know that, right? It's just what are we doing? What's our what's our day to day, right? So um, and and you know when something's developed as a habit, whether it's training or anything, right? The day you don't do it you feel like something's missing, yeah. right, because you, you're not running that loop, right? And if human beings really are creatures of habit, then it's in our best interest to develop those habits that work in our best interest even when we're on autopilot, right? So why not wire the habits in, right? Um, yeah, so uh, you, you said something there, and I was uh, it reminded me of something that now I can't remember. Um uh, I don't know. It'll, maybe it'll come back. <laughs> it'll, it'll come back to you. <laughs> maybe. Well, and, I don't know, maybe. We also wanted to talk about. I had kind of brought this up as a question um, in in thinking about how to work on some different um, different exercises or techniques. Um, training, training to to take a punch and keep going. Um, you know, often as students, I think we come in there, we do these techniques, we're working with a new K, but it, you know, rarely are we working off of that actual sensation or starting point of like, okay, you know, you failed or you missed the first incoming punch. 
but mm-hmm. you're not you're not knocked out, you're not down and out. How do you respond, keep going, and go to the next thing? You know, if you've taken a hit or a punch, uh, and then the advanced idea being, hey, if, if how can you work to take a hit? so that your attacker thinks they've made that contact and injury to you when in reality you've set them up for that to pull them in further. Right. So what you're really talking about now in our curriculum, what you're talking about is training for second to fourth done, right? Hmm. Um, and, again, for, for folks that are new to this, that equates to different don levels based on the way the Japanese promote. Um, so for the Japanese promotions, you're talking about between eighth and beyond tenth don. Um, eight to fifteenth on. So, um, so don't don't confuse that with I require it earlier than they do. It's just how often people get promoted and the promotion standards are different, right? So again, makes me another asshole because I'm not doing it the way they do it in Japan, and there's <laughs> lots of reasons for that, right? So anyway, uh, um, so yeah, so let's let's. Um, kind of back this up to rough and raw without it sounding like we're talking about tough guy training or whatever, right? We typically don't touch this until we get, until somebody gets to, uh, in our curriculum, Mod 5 or even Shodan working on Nidon. Um, but the short answer to it is um, just take a hit, right? So you could do this at any point in your training, um, but you're actually killing two birds with one stone. So let's let's start before the learning to take a hit. And let's start with the fact that people are so afraid of getting hit that they won't even make sure that their uke is being honest with the attack. Hmm. Okay? So even slow motion, right, people are so worried about either getting hit or looking bad, like they can't do anything, right, or making a mistake. We're back to ego again, right, that they move too soon, okay? So the, then they can't understand why, well, they did their move, but they're, they seem like the attacker's arm is too far away or the angle's off or whatever, when really their partner was pulling the punch, they were never going to land it anyway, they were off target, uh, that kind of thing, right, because they're just not paying attention. Partner sneezes, yeah. they move and do their technique, Right. So one of the first things you have to do is make sure that you're working with a training partner who's going to be authentic and give you what you're going to experience on the street. Yes, we're still doing soft training, and yes, we're still doing it slow motion, but, one, that that just gives you longer to wait until the punch gets there so that you can truly move last second. Two, it provides a safety factor, but it keeps your partner honest that if you don't move, you get tagged, right? Mm. So we'll talk about getting tagged here in a minute. But this begins with people being so worried about getting hit, right, which is going to be the downfall because I think we said they've written several articles about this stuff and talked about it in a couple of books, that the fear of getting hit or the fear of losing will be your downfall because your, your head will be so wrapped around either your need to win or your fear of failing that you'll be, your, your mind will be all consumed by something that's not in the moment and you're really not paying attention to him, right? So you're missing opportunities and, and all kinds of things, right? So the first thing we need to do is make sure that the uke is being um, honest, right? That even at slow, at slow speed, if you don't move, 
they will continue to follow through with the punch and it's going to make contact. Now, at those speeds, are you going to get bumped? Yes. Might it hurt? Yes. Could you get hurt, as in like your lip got split or you're registering pain? Yes. Nerve receptors got hit. You will register pain. Are you going to be damaged? No. Um, you know, so, but if you can't, if, if you can't be able to, if you're not able to do that with a partner that's doing soft training and punching slowly and things like that, where do you think your fear level is going to be when you've got this animal in front of you and you can see the blind rage in his eyes, you can smell him, right, and you can feel his presence from across the space between you, right? I mean, where do you think your fear level is going to be then, right? So part of this is a desensitization, just the basic uh, things. But the other thing is in, in, in learning really deep level uh, lessons, like the difference between getting hit and getting hurt, getting hurt and getting broken, right? So uh, it's combat. You're training for combat. Um, well, at least that's what martial arts are supposed to be for. Uh, most people aren't training for combat. Most people are training for uh, ego gratification. And, again, this really irritates people when I say it because they have to face it. Or they'll say, well, that's not me. I obviously train for combat, right? So if you feel the need to say that or justify it in your head, I would double-check yourself. Right? Mm. Because anybody that, you know, you're, you're there for the right reasons, uh, you're just not – you don't have those weird – uh, feelings, or you know, when you ask yourself, "Is that me, really?" Right? You get that lump in your throat or that butterfly feeling in your stomach. You already know, right? You don't even have to ask yeah. the question. You know. So anyway, so start by being authentic with your training and keeping your partner honest. Because if your partner's not going to punch you, how are you going to train to ride off a punch? You're working with somebody that's never going to touch you, which means either your force field is really strong, or <laughs> you're not doing authentic training. And the thing to remember, too, is that, you know, you don't have to train at full speed to be able to operate at full speed, um, because especially when it comes to learning the technique, when you're learning it, because your, your muscle memory is going to remember it, you know, your brain's going to remember it, and then in an actual situation, you're going to be as fast as you can be and you're going to be as strong as you can be because of the adrenal rush. So don't worry about rushing to that point, right? But for us... Once somebody gets close to or at first-degree black belt, this, for second-degree black belt, I have to know that you can use this stuff and this stuff alone to defend against somebody on the street who will be throwing whatever they want, and you don't know what that is, okay? So it's a single attacker throwing whatever they want at full speed. And you're going to use this and not fall back on something else you've learned or what I call, oh, shit, jutsu, right? So um, <laughs> you're not you're – not, you're going to be able to use this, right? You're going to be able to, con you know, control his uh, – uh, not control, but use his uh, energy against him and fit in timing, distancing, angling, that kind of stuff. So um, we're not manipulating him. We're not doing any advanced strategic or tactical control or anything like that. We're just mm -hmm. using the basics to the extent that you can deal with a, a normal attack on the street by somebody doing whatever they want full speed, okay? So mm -hmm. now – we have to face the fact that at full speed and knowing how attackers operate, right, and the fact that we just might be blindsided by the first one or two shots before we get a chance to even get our head in the fight, right, now we need to be able to take a hit without shutting down. 
and the fact that when everything is rough and raw at that kind of speed and when you're under that, uh, you know, in that state, then you're reduced to gross motor skills, which means that all the cool finesse things you do in the dojo ain't happening, right? Mm. Not until you get to high level or the level of some of these senior master instructors that have done the full speed training, right? Yeah. And their bodies are conditioned to that, like, you know, any of us that have ever been in uh, law enforcement or military and actually been under those stressors, um, you, you start to get used to it, right? You don't like it, but you get used to it, right? And your body adapts. So until that happens, um, you don't have it, right? So things are going to be really rough around the edges. So it's quite possible that you will move, but your timing will be a little off. So you could take a shot. Uh, your distance uh, and angling could be a little off. So you could take a shot, right? But because you're moving with it, it's not going to be the same thing. But if the shock value of getting hit, which you've always avoided, hit, kicks in, you don't have to worry about anything else you've ever learned because that shock and awe trauma could just end everything for you because you're not used to getting hit. So at that level, and I remember, I, I know you remember this, um, but as soon as you hit showdown, I said, okay, from now on, um, you're going to let him get as close as possible to you with his fist. And one of the first drills we start working with is not going to naname, not going to the diagonals, but stepping straight back and puckering up mm -hmm. so we can find that point that's just beyond his reach. And I mean, like, he's touching you, yeah. but he hasn't banged into your skull kind of thing. So he's mm -hmm. touching skin, but you know, you know that spot, right? right. So. We, we give you all kinds of hints and tips, like, okay, pucker up. That way, you know, you take it on the lips, you put more flesh out in front of your teeth so you're less likely to get the bone uh, and your skull and your brain jarred around, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, make sure you're moving with it, right? Can't be too early or too late. You're going to get nailed. Um, what's another good one? Um, oh, uh, another really good one is um, we actually go the opposite of moving too soon, and we have you uh, take shorter steps, right? So you know you're going to get hit. So in these cases, we'll have your partner put on gloves or something like that, and uh, they're punching because what will happen is your body very quickly will figure out where where is just too far for him, mm -hmm. right? So because we're using our body's instinctive and our brain's instinctive self-preservation mechanism to find the proper distance. What people want to do is they want to start by going too far away, and then they think that they will incrementally just allow themselves to get closer and closer. But that doesn't work for everybody because it's, it, it works against our instinct, right? Nobody wants to get closer and closer to danger, right? So that it's not that it can't be done. It just takes longer, right? So we have you, for a while, get hit. Um, hmm. In mod – Mod 4 and Mod 5, I think, unless we moved it, uh, we have a couple of breakfalls where you're actually taking a shot and riding off a shot. Uh, well, there's one in Mod 4. Do you remember the one where um, a hook punch comes around and catches you on the jaw? Now, it's forward of the pivot point of the skull, because if you get hit on the pivot point, you take a nap, right? Mm. But you're taking it on the side of the jaw, and it snaps your head sideways, and what you do is you follow that, by corkscrewing down into a fudoza. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? And then yeah. you continue that inertia 
and turn that into a back roll, which actually tackles his leg or gets you offline. But mm-hmm. it's for a surprise attack where you or a, a one that you didn't catch, and he catches you, and your head is snapped around, and what you do is just literally surrender and let your body go with it so mm-hmm. that you're riding off the strike itself. Do you remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have other ones, too, where it's like an uppercut to the, to the gut, and you're drifting back with it uh, and exhaling at the same time. There's, there's all these little things that you do. So I guess simultaneously here I'm tossing out some ideas that people yeah. can use for this. Um, but the, what it really boils down to is how do you get used to doing that or how do you develop the skill to do that? Uh, you have to do that, right? You have to figure out that, to, you know, how you're going to do it. So uh, because by fourth dawn, what I expect is that you can take a hit, right? They can make contact, but you're riding it off. Right? They're actually making physical contact, so their brain is registering a hit, but you're not being damaged. So mm-hmm. we're actually creating a trap. Because they're landing and we're riding it off, they've got, you know, everything, it's kind of the technique is invisible because to them everything's working. But now they're well within range for you to do what you need to do, right? So it's, kind of like you become the hibernating bear and the bear's cave at the same time, and they don't know it yet, but their job is to run in, poke you on the nose, wake you up, and get out before you maul them, right? So what we're really doing is kind of creating a trap. And so, that, but to, to do this, we have to, we have to have embodied what we require as principles and concepts for Fort Don, which is that freedom of movement. Your taijutsu has to be good. It's so good that at a full-speed attack, you can ride this thing off as it's making contact, not where you miss it, all those kind of things, because all those are lower levels of, of achievement, right? If, if it fails or you go too soon or whatever, you've already learned how to ride. You've already learned how to avoid things, right? So, but now what about the things you can't avoid? So on one side, I mean, the epitome of, the writing it off as it's making contact is um, if you get it wrong on one side of the timing where you move too soon, right, you're back in lower levels of, of training. So it's now it's an evasive thing. The trap itself didn't work nearly as well, but you're still in a better condition, right? If your timing works off, and this happened to me, um, I was working with a guy that's his taekwondo kicking is freaking blazingly fast. And, mm. like, I, he, he got me, right? But so now I'm on the late side, right, and now I've got my ukemi to fall back on, no Mm. pun intended. Um, So get it, fall back on. Anyway, (laughs) so um, but that also presupposes that you didn't avoid ukemi training because you don't like falling down and you don't like doing that kind of training because it's uncomfortable. Well, (laughs) sure. So it's getting slammed into the ground much harder. Yeah. Kind of like I tell people with the whole seatbelt thing. And you can do whatever you want in your life. You're a grown-up, right? But um, I had somebody, as a matter of fact, it was a family member one time, tell me how uncomfortable the, the shoulder strap was coming across your shoulder. It, it chafed. And I said, really? Not nearly as uncomfortable as the, as the steering column or uh, impaling your chest or your head going through the windshield. Yeah. A whole different level of <laughs> uncomfortable. Right? Yeah. So, um, but if you can't, if you can't endure and put up with and keep pushing through, the challenges of the training, Jesus criminy, 
than, than what you think you're going to be able to do when somebody's coming at you full on with killer intent, it's just a fantasy. It's just, and this is not a tough guy thing. This is, this is a reality thing. All right. Um, so, uh, you know, anyway, I mean, we're, we're yeah. constantly combating as we go. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so uh, did, did I answer all of your, all the nuances of your question there? Yeah, no, that's, do that's great. Do yeah. Now there's yeah. some really there's some really good uh, tips in there too for people that can pull out and work on those themselves uh, in their training too. And before uh, we do have uh, a question that we want to get to that Josh submitted, but before that, uh, I notice here on our on our question side, Tim asked about repeating the book title, and I think he was referring to the the book you mentioned by Chogyam Trumpa. Right, cutting through spiritual materialism. All right, so there you go, Tim. There's the book title. Of course, you can always, you know, download the podcast later and just back it up and repeat. <laughs> that's, that's always doable. That's but we'll repeat live. it for you. Come on, man. <laughs> Seems like one of our uh, regular guys. So. Yeah, he is. He is. Yeah. So, so cool. all right. Josh submitted a question and uh, even submitted a, a little photo to, to reference. He was looking through the, the uh, book Ninja Secrets. Uh, from the Grandmaster, and he noticed that there's a photo of uh, some Shuko, uh, and there's a little caption that goes with the photo, and the caption uh, talks about a, a few different things, and he's he's wondering if uh, there's a connection here he's missing, because to him they kind of sound like they're all non, non-related or non-sequiturs, so... Um, I'll kind of I'll, I'll read the little caption here, and we can get in, into the discussion. It says, uh, again, this is next to a picture of some some Shuko in this book, and it's on. If you have the book, it's page 106, uh, and it says the reason that the ninja was able to render his body invisible was because he had attained the Gokui, ultimate essence of Nimpo Taijutsu. The first secret tool on any list of the ninja's arsenal should be the hand and foot claws. The teachings of our ninja legacy admonish us not to seek out enemies, but rather to avoid having to deal with them. The fighting posture that best embodies this teaching is Hicho no Kamai, the single leg pose. So that is the caption next to this photo. And and uh, Josh's question is really like, how how are these three thoughts? Uh, are they kind of together? Is there is there something maybe he's missing that links the three? Wow, I can always count on him to be him. Um, <laughs> good question, Josh. Uh, I'm going to answer this in several different ways, and you figure out the connection, right? Um, one, uh, at the moment, mm, I don't see a connection other than the art itself, mm-hmm. but uh, that doesn't mean that I'm not missing the same piece that you're missing. But let's let's back it down from uh, <laughs> something that can be summed up by a poem I wrote a long time ago because of the way people like blindly want to follow not just soke but anything right but I wrote this poem um, and I, I gave myself the, the nickname of the devil's advocate at one point and so the, the poem went sensei's great sensei's good sensei trains with steel and wood right so um, <laughs> it was like people could be at a seminar or training in Japan or whatever and they might as well just be chanting that because um, apparently sensei doesn't make mistakes now According to Sensei, to me and to some other people, he chuckles about when he makes a mistake, writes it off, and people buy it. So, mm. um, yeah, be careful. Um, so, Josh, here's one way to look at this. One, um, it could have just been a publishing error where there were several notes by Soke and they got thrown together. 
two, it could have been uh, an intentional – let's toss a couple of thoughts in here because I don't have any other better place to put them. Or more, maybe more importantly, let's throw a couple of thoughts here together and see if people are paying attention. Okay? Or let's see if you can divide these, se- these three separate things out and just follow them as they are, right, as just simple statements put together. Because uh, remember, in Western format, I mean, in, in Japanese format with the writing, these things would have just been like statement, 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 because they don't have the same kind of grammatical formatting that we do, right? So mm-hmm. what if these things were written out in Japanese and somebody converted, translated them directly, wasn't paying attention, and put this as one whole block next to that photograph? So there's a, there's a possibility as well, right? But what if Soke wrote this in a way just to see if you're paying attention, right, as opposed to being a blind follower? Now, if you don't believe that that's true, that happens a lot in the books. Just like sometimes to keep a technique a little bit more out of your reach or to make sure that you're paying attention, or as a publishing error, right, pictures will be published backwards, right? Um, Something will be mistranslated, okay? Um, Soke has been known to be teaching in one direction and then suddenly just make a, just toss a curveball and go off in a completely different direction and never come back to the original point, okay? Because he's waiting to see if somebody puts their hand up and says, "Uh, you were talking about this, Uh, what was the second thing? Because you said the you were, there were two. You said number one was this. What's number two? Okay. Uh, and, again, I'm going to cite a book that I think is, is a pretty suckish book. Not that it's a bad book, uh, but it's, it's not all that great for the average student who has not been to Japan or to a Taikai or train with Soke or whatever and understands how he's communicating things or can relate to what's going on in the book because the book itself is just a bunch of quotes from the co-authors time in class with Soke. So unless you were there in those classes or you were in classes like that, they're not going to make a lot of sense because there are no pictures accompanying the the lessons about, now be careful, uh, you want to hold a sword like this or, you know, uh, make sure that you're touching here, right? Uh, But they don't spell out where that here was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Here's this book that was written all about these different quotes, right? And, of course, most people were running around and, you know, it was highly acclaimed, and you know, because Soke wrote a book, right? So uh, automatically it has to be a masterpiece. Only to uh, – here I am going to rub people the wrong way – only to blind disciples, okay, who are just going to accept whatever's being tossed out. Not that there aren't good lessons in there. There are, but they're completely out of context because, again, if you weren't there, most of them aren't going to make sense. I think the most valuable part of the book is the title and the explanation about the title. There are some other things where there's a more of a standalone uh, lesson that is uh, it's not tied to physical training, right, which most of them are, that you'd have to ferret out that you might be able to make some sense out of. But the name of the book is Understand Good Play, which is something that's okay, at least he used to say, all the time. He would teach something, and then he would say, understand? And then he would say, good, play, right? And he still says play, right? I mean, he's, just, he's like my Jewish grandfather. He used to start with what I called the big Jewish wave, 
just, you know, dismissing somebody that wasn't worth it. And by the time, you know, he was in his old age and almost dying, he was lucky if his fingers moved, his thumbs were hooked inside of his pants pocket. And he was, I was lucky if his, if his hand moved a little bit when he went, yeah, shit. Right. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, it's going to get pared down. But um, uh, the, the explanation, and this is, this is paraphrasing, it's not word for word, but the explanation is when Hathalisa say finishes something and he asks you if you understand, right, he's asking you if you understand what you're looking at. Do you understand whether this is a good technique or a bad technique? Because he does, you've been in Japan several times. He also does it when um, somebody demonstrates something, right? Mm -hmm. And he'll say, understand? Good, play, right? <laughs> so most people just take it as a, okay, go do that thing, right? But what he's asking you is as an adult warrior or warrior aspirant with a critical mind who is trying to train and learn the lessons for survival, do you understand what's being taught? Not the, just the step-by-step -step moves. Do you understand what this is a, is a model of or an example of, right? Do you understand if this is a good technique or a bad technique mm -hmm. in the context of an actual real-world situation? Is this a good teacher or not a good teacher? That's all wrapped up in one word, right? And then when he says good, right, he doesn't say good unless nobody answers. If they're all standing there nodding like horses eating out of a hay bag, right, or a, a feed bag, then he says good. So that statement is a statement of acknowledgement that if you had any questions as an adult, warrior or warrior aspirant, studying for you get the idea, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You wouldn't have asked for clarity. But since you didn't, he trusts that you actually understood it. And then he says, play, which means this is a foundation for you understand it, work out the bugs for the first couple of moves, and then your job after this class is to take this to its logical conclusion, right? Mm -hmm. Where can this go? What's an example of? How many other ways can you do it? Can you run it through the Kianapo principle and really um, uh, get that inside, right? Can you can you uh, can you own the technique, right? So you understand it on, on the three levels. So I, I think that's that's huge. But the point is that Hatsumi Sensei and any good teacher is not just teaching you moves; they're teaching you how to think critically and be able to assess a situation understand what's necessary. So they're teaching you how to think about resolving that issue, right? Handling that conflict or, or dealing with that, that kind of an attack and recognizing it for what it is and where the openings are and where the, where the, the things are. They're not just teaching you moves. I mean, to any given kata is an initiation to an idea, right? It's, it's an initiation into a whole lesson um, as far as how to handle this kind of a scenario. So, um, it's, it's a start point, right? But when, when you're looking at things like this, and I appreciate that, that this question is asked because mm -hmm. uh, most people would just gloss right over stuff like this, right? Um, if, if you've ever run into these things and it's caused you to stop and go, wait, what? Uh, there's plenty of passages in Hatsumi Sensei's books where I have to stop and go, wait, what? 
and I go back and I reread it two, three, four times, and I'm like, ah, okay, I need to go back and take this in pieces, right? And questions go in my notebook for the next time I go to Japan, or I'll ask another teacher, or I'll just ponder on this for a while, um, or I'll try to apply it in techniques and, and see where I am with it, um, because I, I need to be able to understand it, right, not just do the moves. <coughs> so... I appreciate you asking about this thing. I wasn't there, so I don't know for sure, but I thought I'd give you some possibilities um, and more like probabilities. So if it wasn't a publishing error where they try, where they they weren't thinking uh, clearly, or the translator just took uh, several things together, translated them into English, and it ended up as a footnote that nobody caught, right? Um, because the Shuko was mentioned. There's a picture of Shuko. Okay, great. Right? Or um, was it something that, you know, he just tossed some extra stuff in there just to, you know, give you three different things in a short amount of time, right? Here's a couple of things. Break these apart. Figure it out. Right? Or mm -hmm. did he throw you a curveball? Did he literally throw something in there that should have made your brain stop because it didn't make sense just to see if you were paying attention. I don't know. I'm not so okay. But I do know that he does all of those things. As well as, and he has admitted this over and over again, right, just like I have, uh, lie to you flat out. Hmm. Because, again, if you're checking the information, if you're validating things, and you're not looking to just be a blind disciple, and this is about your life, and not being somebody's follower or not having what is called in uh, the marketing world as borrowing celebrity credibility. And what that means is because you can quote Sensei's words, right, it somehow imparts greater credibility to you as an instructor or practitioner or group leader or whatever, right, uh, which is a marketing ploy, by the way, right, um, and an ego thing, right? So if you're not doing that and you're actually paying attention for the purpose that this, this training is designed for, then these things should cause you to stop. These things should cause you to, you know, they, they should be a, a speed bump in the road or a, a pothole that tripped you up a little or a little bit, right? That's going to cause you to stop and think. But if you're doing the other thing and you're just blazing through, then, see, we're right back to cutting through spiritual materialism. But in this case, it's mm. cutting through what? Martial mastery? Um, <laughs> whatever. Martial yeah. mastery or, or, or mastery or ism. So, I don't know. That's right. All right. So, we got Josh's thing. Yeah. Yeah, my yeah. side note to this is, you know, I, I kind of see a link here with with the idea of stealth, escape, alternate routes to success kind of being as, as they point to this, you know, essence of, of Nimpo Taijutsu, uh, because the, the clue that jumped out at me in this passage was, you know, the first secret tool, uh, they didn't, they didn't mention Shuko, uh, or the Ashiko as, as weapons as often. I think people think oh, right. this was some kind of weapons like, no, no, yeah, no, 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 this was a tool. And so, you know, the next line talks about teachings, uh, really to, to not seek out enemies, but rather avoid having to deal with them. So, 
you know, I recall back to our first visit to Japan, my first visit to Japan with, with you, and, you know, getting some photos done at, at Nijo Castle and one of them where we were working on, you know, climbing a wall uh, for a photo. And, you know, how often the the ninja would, would work on alternate routes of entry and and exit to, to a castle or to a place so that they didn't have to get into confrontations. It was a different way of, of getting in and around. Um, the Hicho part throws me a little bit, although, you know, kind of, I think that that particular Kamai uh, is one of one of action. Not that the others aren't, mm-hmm. but you're in that yeah, single yeah. leg posture. You're ready to kind of move because your one leg is freed up. You're in that kind of centered balance point of going lots of different directions. See, now you stirred the pickle barrel here, and I don't know where that <laughs> freaking thing just came from. But now that you say this, right, now what we have are three connecting things that, again, we're looking at invisibility because nothing in need to do is what it, what it appears to be. So, mm. Josh, I apologize. Here's one more, right? Three completely – three things that look like they don't belong together, right? But if we start with the initial premise that we're talking about uh, secret tool, right, Chuko yeah. That means now, right, the ninja is armed with a weapon that's never seen as a weapon because it's a farming tool, okay? So here's this, right? And then the lesson about not instigating anything, okay? So this this reminds me of people today that will scream that I want my right to carry whatever, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to tell you where I am on the side of the fence or whatever um, because I'm actually on both sides, so try to figure that one out. Um, but I'm on both sides because you can never disarm me. Right? You can take my gun, mm-hmm. but if a bad guy has one, I've learned how to take that away from him, and now I've got a gun. So, you know, whatever. Um, but what this is really about is the invisibility thing. So let's say that the samurai enforcers come through your village, Right. And you're walking around with a sword in your hip or you're walking around with something that maybe it's not illegal, but it is seen as a possible you – know, only people who are fighters or troublemakers or criminals or government dissidents or whatever would have such a thing, okay? Mm. So guess what? Now you get unwanted attention. So you're not invisible anymore, okay? And the third one about Hicho no Kamai – this goes way beyond a single-legged posture, okay? The strategic use of, of Hicho no Kamai, and the reason why Hicho is called what it is, as flying bird posture, is it points to the, to the bird's ability to use proper timing to break free from a constrictor snake when the snake goes from initial snatch to repositioning for suffocation, and during that moment, the bird can spread its wings and break free. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is a reference to timing. Okay, hmm. so when did Shuko or Ashigo come out as a weapon at the proper time when he least expects it? Because up until that point, they were never considered. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a fourth or fifteenth or whatever possibility, right? So um, which one is it, Josh? I don't know. Call Sente. <laughs> it's probably it's none of those. Yeah. Yeah, and it could be none of those, right? <laughs> uh, it could be absolutely none of those. Anyway, so there's another possibility, right? Could be none Excellent. of those, right? But, yeah. So no, I, I'm glad you stirred that up because 
you kind of dissected the lines, and that got me thinking, oh, crap. And by the time you got the heat gel, I'm like, no, wait, that's timing. Okay? Mm-hmm. So um, it could have been put together. But, again, you see how I would have had to have learned and not just been taught little things or read it. I would have had to have learned these other lessons about mm-hmm. the, the psychology of a ninja, the way a ninja thinks about things which is never surface value, but mm-hmm. it's also not supposition. I'm telling you what I'm supposing it could be this or this or this, because Josh asks, what is this, right? So why is it there that way? I don't know which one of those options it is, but as soon as you choose one, it leads you down a very specific gopher hole or rabbit hole or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, and it gives you a path for exploration to see how that, could be possible, how it could be used, how it could produce success. Or it could lead you down another one, which will give you a whole other thing. And this is like standing in the middle of a Dharma chakra. You know that wheel? It looks like a mm-hmm. ship's wheel. Kind of thing yeah. used in Buddhism. That's standing in the middle of that and looking at eight possible perspectives on the same thing and following them out and seeing how even at the outer rim, they're all connected, Right. But at first glance, they look like they're pointing in completely different directions. Mm-hmm. Okay? Hmm. So, anyway. But I could be retarded, too. So, just, <laughs> it's my show, so you have to listen unless you hang up. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> well, it's your show, too. I didn't mean to cut you out of that loop. You're the level-headed one. I'm just too talking. I'm the paid monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and with that, that takes us pretty much to the end end of our time. But uh, we've got a brief moment here where we can open it up uh, for questions. Um, yeah, and before we before we end this, you and I need to discuss, uh, just kind of share a couple of things that we are working on. So uh, we'll get some feedback from some folks, and uh, we're putting some uh, irons in the fire, so to speak. So yeah, yeah. So let's do questions and answers first. So I will. You already hit the unmute. So. Looks like Randy's on live. So, Randy, do you have any questions while the people on the uh, webcast are still trying to catch up in real time? Well, yeah, actually, there were two. Uh, first off, like I said earlier, I want to thank you guys for putting uh, your, the crew on on the uh, podcast for iTunes because that's been very helpful for me. I've been binge listening to it every time I go on patrol, you know, for my work. Um, second of all, you brought up the Kuji. I was wondering, you know, because I keep hearing all these different people talk about it. And yet, at the same time, it's like, you know, like one guy I was trying to learn from who was stopped by one guy who turned out to be a fraud. And it's like, well, where do you find that right proper information for what the Kuji really is and the proper use of it? Because when people are searching it out, they're finding a lot of people like Ashita Kim. I shouldn't have said his name. I apologize for that. Uh, if that can be believed, please, please, please. <laughs> you can but, say Kim. I have one of his books on my uh, on my. Um on my bookshelf to remind me that there are people like that in the world. It's, it's just a reminder. So, yeah, so for me, it was like, people like I, know, that. I, I mean, you don't know what was authentic and not. But then some yeah. people are attracted to anything that's called ninja anything. So, you know, they're probably trying to learn the art from Naruto, too. So, anyway. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, when I was listening to that, it was like, okay, well, I was studying this, trying to learn it, but then the guy that was like the leader of the organization, well, one of my friends did a background check on him because he's also into the ninjutsu. I was learning the spiritual aspects of it and went, oh, this guy was in Canada. He, 
you know, he got in trouble. He was caught. He was arrested and tried for fraud, you know, for real estate scams. Are you really sure you want to be learning from this guy, you know, mm-hmm. or being under this guy? And I'm like, um, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So here's 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 something that's that's important because I I'll and I, I've done this on Facebook and I I typically only use Facebook to uh, to stay in touch with students and things like that or you know somebody will post something and I'll like it but I'm I'm not the guy that's you know hey I just had a diet Pepsi and it was tasty you know I'm I'm not that guy right yeah. but I will yeah. see a meme that I think is an important and it's, yeah, it's a, a quote from somebody right. And it's, a, it's something important for my students to think about, understand, whatever, right? So I'll post this thing, and I'll have somebody respond about the character of the person who made the quote. Mm. And my default mm. response is it doesn't make the quote any less true just because of where it came from, right? So oh, okay. uh, not everybody is purely evil. Not everybody is purely saintly. I know we like to use these titles and we'd like to believe so, but it just ain't true, okay? So, you know, um, Hitler had some pretty brilliant ideas. The way he went to carry things out was pretty freaking – anyway, you know, we understand history, right? Yeah. But not everything he did because, you know, if most people knew that the highway system uh, started out as the Autobahn and that was a Hitler thing, you know, we have lots of things in our, in our society that were great ideas that have nothing to do with the evil side that, you know, we all read about in history. So we'd be careful with that. Mm. So one, be careful with discounting the information you receive from the person because they were a criminal in other aspects of their lives. Does it call into question? Maybe. But that's where the testing it and running it by somebody else or whatever might come in, okay? So um, I got mine directly from a teacher who was only one level from Hatsumi Sensei, and so I have these things, right? But at the same time, yeah. when you get things, and this is what people confuse, right? They'll, they'll read about this stuff, or they know it's in a scroll, like the Yamato Tatara or something like that, or Soke teaches this stuff. And, yeah, here's the extent of Soke teaching it, right? He'll say, put your hands this way, right? Okay? And uh, mm-hmm. now say this, right? This is all about this thing. And then he'll hop on a plane and take off, or he'll he'll be done, right? You're supposed to take that and go figure out how that process is supposed to work, because it's not all written down, okay? So this is where the word kuden came in, where a lot of this stuff is passed on from teacher to student. And while sometimes it gets written down, especially from the Mikio side of things, there is a um, – there is a prohibition about putting, you know, photographing mandala and, and and writing this stuff down and publishing it and making it generally available because it can be dangerous, either to the person who's trying to use it, right, because you could be messing with your own sanity, and or to anybody yeah. else because even if you did develop the powers or the abilities, what to stop you from misusing it? Okay, so anyway, mm. um, I tend to I tend to lead people up toward it with lower levels or lower just different pieces of the training until we get there. Um, but remember, I said it's a it's an extraction from. And if I didn't say it during this one, I did it this morning. It's uh, the Kuji are actually a subset of the of Mikyo of all of these mantra and mudra and things like that, right? 
So unless you understand the basic premise that lies behind Mikyo uh, and therefore Ninpo Mikyo, this isn't going to make very much sense. You're, you're going to have some things you do with your hands. You're going to be able to do a visualization that I told you about, and you're going to be able to recite a Japanese transliteration of a Chinese transliteration of an original Sanskrit or Pali phrase, but you're not doing anything other than desensitizing yourself to the actual ability, right, because mm. ego's faking it, okay? So this is a process that you get led up to. Um, it's kind of the icing on the cake after you've developed a bunch of other abilities from these other areas of training. Fair enough. Okay. Um, the other yeah. question is, I did get, I already put the book on reserve, the uh, cutting through spiritual materialism. I'm, I, I remember you saying earlier in the uh, uh, show that it's a reading material that you guys have to read. I'm curious of, uh, you know, how in depth does that go? I mean, what is, you know, can you give uh, like a small summary of what the book's about? Because I already have it on reserve right now. I actually uh, reserved it right after you brought it up. So what, work, what is that book about? Yes. You're asking what that book's about? Didn't you read the summary? I read some of it, but it was very, very vague. It basically said, you know. Yeah, well, like, a lot of his books, a lot of his books were actually put together by his students um, after his death because what they did was they recorded all of these lectures that he did. And oh. the lectures were, and now in this one, it's a very specific uh process that he's moving you through, through a series of lectures, but in other ones, um, they were often standalone lectures and things like that. So um, it, it's, a, it's about the process of fighting ego's power is really what cutting through spiritual materialism is about. Okay, well, then that's definitely a book I'm picking up then. If it's, uh, you know, if it's a recommended one, I'm definitely picking it up today after work. So... Okay. Well, and this kind of this kind of leads into uh, what we were going to discuss a little bit about, um, you know, some additional uh, discussions or or uh, episodes, if you will. Uh, and and I know you were talking about uh, kind of rolling out a different course on the the thirty seven fundamentals to enlightenment. So we want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, I have a I have a, a couple of programs now. One is an introduction to Mikyo. It's the um, uh, Sadhana of the 13 Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Sadhana just means song, and it's basically a, a, a not some poem, kind of an admonition. Uh, it's about, uh, you know, uh, calling forth these these different enlightened minds and, and states and things like that. It can be done from a Mahayana standpoint or a Mikyo standpoint, so external or internal. Uh, again, I'm, I'm dancing around because if you haven't been indoctrinated into the three vehicles, then this isn't going to make any sense. But um, so it's an introduction to Mikio, which actually predates the mandala that most people are used to seeing. Um, and then, so I have that, but to lead into that, I, I currently have a program called the, the, seven, the First Seven Steps on the Path of a Buddha, which covers a lot of fundamental foundational teachings that are necessary before you can even approach Mikio, because Mikio is a summation or a simulacrum or, or everything, all the lessons in, in Mikyo are a condensed form of a ginormous lesson, right? So when you utter a mantra or you make a mudra or whatever, um, just like when a Catholic priest or you know, a minister of any type or whatever makes certain gestures, um, they're acting out enlightenment or they're acting out, you know, uh, this, this lesson that's really, really big, right? So uh, I have these, but 
often people are thrown off by, you know, if I do the first seven paths, does that mean I have to be a Buddhist or, you know, doing the Mikyo thing? See, now you're talking about Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and, you know, I was taught that all that stuff is like satanic, so I don't want to do that. And that's fine, right? But the uh, Sanju Shikyobon, that's the name in Japanese, uh, which is the 37 fundamentals leading to enlightenment, uh, the premise behind this is uh, either on his deathbed or really close to his death uh, later on in his life, um, the Buddha was asked by his uh, disciples who were then going to be, you know, going out into the world and spreading this stuff, you know, this stuff is very useful to people, but not everybody can, can you know, become a nun or a monk and just walk away from things and do all this. And a, a lot of them don't want to just, you know, commit to – this path or whatever, right? But this is usable. So of all that you have taught, what are the most, not just valuable things, but the things that are universal that someone could do regardless of whether they wanted to, and again, I'm paraphrasing, call themselves a Buddhist or, or jump on this ride or whatever, right? And the Buddha's answer was to identify these 37 elements that are grouped together in, in groupings, but with all the elements, right? So there's what seven groupings of varying between three and eight or whatever things, right? Um, so they collectively create these 37 elements that anybody could learn and apply in their life, regardless of their spiritual or religious or not or philosophical or whatever leanings, um, that they could put these things to use, okay? To uh, overcome egos, strongholds, to become more enlightened, all that kind of stuff, right? to produce better results um, in a more enlightened way and not create um, more problems for themselves. So uh, that's what that is, and people have been asking about something like this, and so what I thought I'd do, again, was toss it out there, because the last time I tossed it out, two people said, yeah, I'd be interested, and nobody else did. Um, I'm not putting in the amount of time, effort, hours, and, and all that to put together a program when only two people are going to do it, when I can talk to those people individually or whatever. It's just, sorry. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you were going to go to work and uh, you were going to do all this stuff and the the whole idea was the, the, the employer said, yeah, yeah, just do all this stuff and everything and, I don't know, we'll figure out your pay at the end or, I, I don't know, you know, um, I'm not sure what I'm going to give you at this point, right? You might be kind of wary to do it because, you know, your time is worth something, and this is part of what I do for a living. So, anyway, so if anybody's interested in that kind of thing, I'd be interested. I know Eric is, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, um, <laughs> because I get emails and texts and PMs on a regular basis about different aspects of this stuff. So um, he's on board. But this would be a standalone program. This would be not, not something that I covered during the Kuden things because I don't want to force any of these specialized topics like this on anybody um, so you know nobody has to feel like they have to do it uh, we don't want to we don't want to push people away from um, the, the coolness of this thing right um, so we were talking about that and then uh, I get these really deep questions not just from Eric but from a couple of my other students that both do the obvious ninjutsu side of things and the ninpo mikyo things and really deep things that have to do with the tie-in between different elements and aspects and all that that really just, you know, blow your mind on things. These are the kind of things that Hatsumi Sensei talks about or alludes to and has mentioned before, but 
you know, if you don't want to do it, he'll tell you, nah, you don't have to do it, right? So, um, but it's stuff that he does, right? And it's stuff that uh, Takamatsu Sensei did, right? Not many people know that Takamatsu Sensei was a, um, a head of one of the Tendai Buddhist schools, right, on the Mikyo side uh, way back in the day, right, and developed all kinds of really cool powers and stuff, right? Um, I don't know if they don't know because their teacher never told them or they don't know because they don't want to know or whatever, but um, it's in Hakuna Sensei's book. So, um, yeah, so uh, what uh, Eric and I are kind of kicking around at the moment is perhaps making a series of discussions that we would do on these topics and how they would, how some of these things could tie into your kamai and, and all this, this stuff, right? I mean, it's, um, I don't know, Eric, what, do you remember, I mean, you can paraphrase it, but do you remember one of the questions that Carl sent in that um, were along these lines? that give people an idea of what we're looking at? Yeah, well, he had kind of, you know, as uh, interesting Randy there uh, mentioning Kuji, he had talked about Kuji and, you know, kind of some of the practical day-to-day ways to apply it to to life. Uh, so there was a question and about one that. Was, one of them was Kuji related to the different Kamai because... Uh, right, right, people, were, were they of, part of the Kamai, uh-huh. Yeah, when people think of mudra, they think of the hand position. But in the Gyokoryu secret scrolls, um, the Kamai are considered to be full-body mudra. How about that? How about that? that. <laughs> now, that just got scribbled into your notes. <laughs> uh, and then he was talking about, uh, he was talking about uh, some of these uh, characters and enlightened realms and all that. Like, he had alluded to, um, no, I didn't allude to, he he knows that I, this year, you know, every year I, I pick a different one of these Buddhas or Bodhisattvas mm-hmm. um, to be something that I work on, right? So he was talking about how that could be connected to either the different Kuji or the different Kamai or whatever. And um, one of the brief answers that I sent to him today was in recognizing that uh, Fudo Mio comes in different flavors, so to speak, right? So we know that he has, you know, flames and a sword and a rope and fangs and all that kind of stuff, right? But there was a red fudo, there was a black fudo, there's a green fudo, there's a blue fudo, there's a yellow fudo. Do these colors sound familiar? They're the colors mm-hmm. of the five Buddha things, right? Right. So how does that alter how fudo manifests? Because that's traversing the different realms. But you could bring fudo, if you understand fudo, you could bring that quality into each and every one of your kamai. Now what would your kamai look like or feel like? or be presented like to the bad guy if it had more of a Fudo nature to it, or if it had more of a a Jizo nature to it, or if it had more of a Kanon nature to it, or, uh, you know, whatever, right? So, um, see, there's there's another whole other way of looking at this stuff. So this is the kind of stuff we were talking about with the discussions, which may in and of itself lead to a study group, right? But I would definitely need for people that got into any kind of Mikyo study group, and we're talking about things on this deep level, to go through, um, either, well, probably both, the Sanju Shishi Dobo and the 37 Fundamentals and the uh, First Seven Steps on the Path uh, kind of thing. I do have another program that takes the, the stuff that's in the set, First Seven Steps, with a lot of it anyway, not, not all of it, but, um, and then it's presented specifically for the warrior mind, for the ninja mind, uh, and it's called Ninja Mind, right? Mm. So we do have these non-physical programs <laughs> that may be of interest to people that um, 
are interested in pursuing uh, this parallel path. So uh, what else did you want to add to that? Because we've been talking about all kinds of things. I'm still waiting for a T-shirt yeah. from you. <laughs> I'm still working on that. Well, a lot of that was because we changed uh, providers, so I'm kind of reworking design yeah. on that. Yeah, but, no worries. Um, we're, no, uh, we're running think. dangerous close to the end of our time here, so we are. Uh, we definitely want people, if they're interested in, in, in what you're describing there and getting getting on board with that, um, to definitely you know, reach out, notify us. You can, you know, good way to get to us through the uh, Kuden podcast page. You can message us on Facebook that way, and uh, that's often how Josh submits his questions. And so, so we definitely want to hear from folks who are interested in that. Absolutely. I do. I, yeah, I, I don't care about everybody else. But. He can, somebody answered that he can do his thing, right? Yeah. All right. So I don't see any any other questions uh, no. other than Therese saying hello and all that over there. So I don't see anything. So I guess uh, I guess we'll wrap it up for another one. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks everybody for joining us on uh, on this oh, episode. Oh, I do want to throw one more thing in there. Yeah. I apologize. If you are listening in because you found us on iTunes or Google Play or TuneIn mm. or What's the other one? Stitcher Radio. It's not a bunch of these yeah. things, right? If you found it outside of our normal channels, um, and uh, you know you you don't want to always be listening to things in in pass mode, and you want to have a chance to get on this thing live and actually get uh, in on some of these little snippets. Um, Eric uh, produced a, a short video that I just had my editor take care of uh, that we're going to be posting. We're going to start to post some of these things up on the Kuden podcast page and be emailed out to people on our elite membership uh, list. Uh, these will not be going out generally. They'll just be little add-in kind of things as they pop up uh, if, they, if something comes up during one of these calls, like it did for the Shuriken call. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, if you want to get in on that and, and get early notification and be able to submit questions and, and things like that, right, uh, then you definitely want to subscribe. Uh, be, and so the other the other place where we have our library of, of past episodes, and there's a subscriber form that's there to get on the list. You'll you'll know early. You won't miss one of these things. You get a chance to be on live, uh, all that kind of cool stuff. And you'll get these go, get, you'll get notified about these extra things, uh, like the t-shirts and all that kind of cool stuff, right? So you won't be living in the past, right? Um, <laughs> you, right. So let me find it here. Uh, you can go to. Oh crap! It is uh, Modern Ninja Warrior, right? ModernNinjaWarrior.com forward slash Kuden dash podcast dash episodes with an S. So ModernNinjaWarrior.com forward slash uh, Kuden podcast episodes. So that is both a uh, it's a list, and you'll even see that we have a couple of other things that are over there of uh, things that are coming up, like the spring camp. A uh, little graphic uh, promoting the spring camp is there. Uh, I don't know, something else that was there. I, I just removed the one from the contest. Um, the, the, it's several pages because this is like episode 54, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a, there's a way to subscribe to that list uh, so that you're on. Now, if you're, if you're coming through us to normal channels, you already know, and this is how you, you, know, you found out. But if you're coming to us new from these other podcast um, platforms, uh, they don't have a way for you to, like, subscribe to anything other than this on their platform. And if you want to directly connect with us and chat with Eric or I or get your questions in and and all that kind of cool stuff, then we highly suggest that you get uh, subscribed to this. um, uh, We call it the Elite Kuden Membership. Um, So, yeah, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. 
Excellent. So make sure you guys do that. Subscribe and uh, look for us again. Join us live if you can so you can ask your questions and interact with the show next week on Kuden. Thank you for listening to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.